You have the power to do something with you. But beyond that, it's all in God's control. The only thing you can do is you can do something with you and what you are supposed to do. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. And today is part three of the series called Resurrection Power. How do we bring dead things back to life? And how do we determine the things that need to stay dead or the things that we need to kill in our lives. They are three very profound questions and answers. And, and today I want to deal with how do we determine the things that we need to resurrect and the difference between that that we need to resurrect and that which needs to stay dead or we need to kill. How do we know the difference? I take my text from Ezekiel, 37th chapter, first three verses. You don't have to turn there as you follow me. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Now here was Ezekiel in the midst of the valley of dry bones. In the midst of not just dead stuff, but very dead stuff. See, see it's different when something freshly dies it still has some meat on the bones. But here Ezekiel was in a valley, and not only was there no meat on the bones, the bones were dry. See, even a fresh bone has marrow on the inside of it. Marrow is what makes blood. So a, a fresh bone even has marrow, but Ezekiel was in a valley, and the bones had no meat on them. And the bones were dry even on the inside. So here was the deadest of the dead. There was nothing, no moisture anywhere to even get any kind of life out of this. And it's one thing that you learn even in microbiology. For anything to grow, it, it takes moisture. If, there, if it's totally dry, nothing can grow in it. So here Ezekiel was facing a whole field of just dead, dry, lifeless stuff. That there was no way to bring life. Have you all ever been in a situation and you look around and this stuff is just, it's not only dead, it's dried out? You all ever been, I, mean, I mean, it's just, it's been dead so long that all of the, it's just dead and dry. So this is what Ezekiel was facing. And God asked Ezekiel a question. He said, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, oh Lord, thou knowest. 
Is, in other words, what Ezekiel was saying, I don't know. I don't know. You, you look, here I am facing all this dead, dried out stuff. And you asking me, can they live? I don't know. So Ezekiel said, oh Lord, thou knowest. Sometimes people, we stand in the position of Ezekiel with some of our situations. And we don't know whether this thing can live or not. We don't know whether it is destined to be reborn and to be resurrected and to life, have life-giving energy and power and blood pumped into it. Or we don't know whether it just needs some dirt over it just to bury it. So, so sometimes we are like Ezekiel and we stand in the midst of dead stuff and dead situations. And we don't know. Oh God, thou knowest. How many times have you been in that situation? You said, Lord, I don't even know. Only you know. And the problem is this. Sometimes God isn't talking. Do you know sometimes God just shut up and we can't hear a thing? You pray, listen for an answer. You up away in the middle of the night and there's no answer. Sometimes God doesn't talk. The, the Bible was shut up for 400 years between the Old and the New Testament. Sometimes God doesn't talk to us. And we beg and pray for an answer or some clarity. Lord, tell me what to do. And we can't hear a word. Oh, Lord, thou knowest. Because I don't know. And there's one thing I have learned in life. I, I am statistically a pretty smart fella. I'm well educated. But one thing I have learned, it's a lot more stuff that I don't know than stuff that I do know. I've learned it's just a whole bunch of stuff. I don't even have a, not only do I not know it, I don't even know what I don't know. It's so much stuff that I, I didn't even realize possibilities on things. It's so much stuff I have. And see, the more you learn, the more you realize, the less you know. But it's just oceans of things that I have absolutely no idea about. So, so we deal with life situations and we just don't know. But if we can learn to listen to the word of God when he speaks, it can often change our lives or just even listen to wisdom. I, was with a, I had a meeting with a man on Friday. He drove to my office. I saw his car. That car was probably a $100,000 plus car. So when you're driving a $100,000 plus car, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are loaded with money, but it does mean you're not making minimum wage. So it does mean something. So he drove up in this real expensive car, and he sat there in my office. And he was telling me about his business and how in the midst of all of this economic calamity, how his company was the only company in the segment that was prospering and doing extremely well. And he told me, he said, you know, I came to you years ago with an idea that I had. And he said, and you told me that that idea would not work. He said, not only did you tell me that it would not work, you told me why it would not work. And you detailed the rational, logical stuff of why it would not work. He said, and I took that idea and I put it on the shelf, wrapped it up, and it's been there ever since. And I followed what you told me to do. And he said, I'm doing fantastic. 
I told him, in essence, and I didn't even remember it had been so long ago. I told him, in essence, that thing has to die. I said, you don't need to make that live. You don't need to resurrect that. That's not a good idea. That needs to die. And he let it die and focused on something else. And he said, now I can look back. I see exactly what you were talking about. Now I know why it would not have worked. But if I had not have listened, I'd have gone in the wrong direction. Now, an opposite case of that, and I I can talk about it because the man talks about it himself. Many of you who listen to the local radio, his name is Rob Wilson. And I've had people come to the church and tell me, you know, so Rob Wilson talks about you all the time. And he says that if he had listened to you, he'd be a multimillionaire today. He came to my office, sat down with the concept, and I told him, I said, that is a real good concept. And I said, I said, it's rare that I hear stuff and realize that this could work. I said, it can work. I said, but this is the way that you need to do it. And I said, I will even finance the project, but this is the way you have to do it. He didn't want to do it that way. So I said, well, you can't do it this way in wisdom. I said, I can't, I can't be involved in that. So he took it somewhere else, and it never got off the ground. And he says on the radio to this day, if I had just listened, I would be a multi-millionaire today. You have to know when to let something die and to when to resurrect it. And, And just that knowledge, it can make all the difference in the world, in your path and in your future and in your success And in your failure, you've got to know. Sometimes you have to let relationships die. I was friends with a fellow since college. And 20 years later, God told me, you need to cut that relationship and let that die. But I was so close to the fellow. I'd been friends with him all this time. He was a good friend of mine. I didn't want to cut the relationship, but I heard God speaking. You need to let that die. I didn't let it die, so finally God allowed a situation that killed it. And sometimes we'll receive a word, but because we're so close and because we're so attached, we don't want to let the stuff go. And I logically knew that it wasn't good for me. See, sometimes we already know that the stuff's not good for you, but we don't want to let it go. You've got to know what needs to be resurrected. And what needs to die? Oh, Lord, thou knowest. Because Ezekiel, even though he was a great prophet, he knew two things. First, he knew he didn't have the power to do anything with those bones. That's the first thing that you will realize when you really come into the knowledge of God, is you'll realize you don't have the power to do anything with anybody or anything but you. Now, you do have that power. You've got the power to do something with you. Turn to the person and tell them, you got the power. You have the power to do something with you. But beyond that, it's all in God's control. The only thing you can do is you can do something with you and what you are supposed to do. And when you do what you are supposed to do, you'll be amazed how much of the rest of the stuff falls into order. So I had, I had developed this elaborate sermon. Dealing with Genesis 
and dealing with the flood and how God used the criteria to determine why the world needed to be destroyed. And I was going to go down point by point of, of the criteria that God had it all finished. And God says, I don't want you to use that. I said, well, what do I use? He said, I want you to take the points that I have given you in your company. And I have eight points in the mission statement that guide me on what to do and what not to do. And he said, I want you to take those points and use those points as an illustration for people to know what's to be born and what's to die. So I, I use this from actually, it's up on the wall in my boardroom, the eight points for my company. And this will translate and transfer to your life and your life situations. And if you use these eight points, it will help you not just in business, but almost in everything that you do. Number one, always remain financially viable. Now, these are, these are the business principles. They transfer to everything. Always remain financially viable. If there's anything that I want to do, first thing it has to do in business, it has to make money. I don't care how good. If it doesn't make money, it's not. I don't do it. I got these eight things that God has given me for business. Always remain financially viable. If it doesn't make money, I don't do it. Now, if it's spiritual, the financially viable is a little bit different. There are some things that I do in the spiritual world that I don't set out to make money with. When I started Mountain Wings and Air Jesus and the online word and cry of the spirit and all that and even the power and all of that stuff. It's not really designed and geared. I don't really care if I make money or not. But it is financial. See, it's financially viable. But what do you mean it's financially viable and you're not going to make money from it? It goes into my heavenly bank account. And, and see, I understand that the money that I place into my heavenly bank account is more valuable than the money that goes into my earthly bank account. Because I'm going to leave the earthly bank account. So it always has to be financially viable. If it's an earthly business, I have to make sure that it's profitable. If it's a spiritual venture, the money goes into my heavenly bank account. Is this thing profitable for you? That's the first question. Is this thing, whatever you're going to do, is this thing profitable for you? And, and it may not be like monetary terms, but it, there are other factors. Is it profitable for you? Second thing. Use no deception. We must always be truthful both inside the company and to our customers and never use deception for gain or other reasons. Use no deception. I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask him this question. When is the last time you lied to someone? When is the last time? And that's that's the first that's the first part of the question. Now see see the thing about it is this: if I, if I raise, ask everyone to raise their hand, everybody who lied to someone, anyone who didn't raise their hand, you're lying to me. So 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 use no deception. And it's so easy sometimes in business or personal to, to allow deception to creep in. So that's the first question. 
When is the last time that you lied to someone? The second part of that question is this. What were the consequences of that lie? What were the consequences of that lie? And see, sometimes all of us have to, have to really, even though you ask the person next to you, you really have to look in the mirror on that. When was the last time that you lied to someone? And what were the consequences of that lie? Use no deception. If it's an idea or if it's a thing and you have to use deception to bring it into being, you need to let it die. If it's a product that you have to market, if it's something else in your world and you have to use deception to bring it into being and you have to lie about it, let it die. I didn't understand why God told me to use these things in my company, but it became clearer as I began to read through the things. Number three. All products and actions must be beneficial. Everything done must have an overall beneficial effect. Is this thing going to be good for me and others? There are some decisions that you can make before you get ready to snort that cocaine. You need to ask yourself number three. Is this... And these things, these things are real. I mean, before you get ready, is, is this thing going to have an overall beneficial, is it going to be beneficial? So when you begin to ask yourself and go through, you, you'll be able to discern what things need to live and what things need to die. So before you get ready to put that little line and take your little tubers, you need to ask. Pastor said, let me see about this number three here. Uh, is this thing going to be beneficial? When you start going through this stuff, these eight points through life, I, I began to see why God wanted me to get. Yeah, that one will rule out a lot of stuff. So if it's not going to be financially viable, it's going to take all your money. If it's not going to be, and it's not going to pr produce any back, it's going to take your money. You're going to have to deceive. You're going to have, where you been, baby? Oh, I, I just, uh, I, I went to the weekday word. No, you didn't. You, so, so, so you got to lie about it. And it's not going to be beneficial. So when you start going down the list, you will be able to decide. And you can even sometimes go down this stuff with a relationship and with a person. Are they financially viable? Are they lying to you? Are they beneficial? You can start going down the same list with almost every area of life. Number four, we shall strive to have excellent customer service. We shall strive to treat each customer relationship as we wish to be treated. Does that sound like something you all heard in the Bible? To do unto others as you would have them do unto you? If you're getting ready to do something, would you want someone else to treat you this way? And if you can't answer yes, if this is not the way that you want to be treated, then you ought not to do it. We strive to have excellent customer service. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And see, a lot of, yeah, when you get down these eight things, they, they will weed out some stuff in your life that either needs to be born and resurrected or some stuff that needs to die. Number five, we shall strive to be the best in products and service. No company shall offer a better product value. Whatever you are, you ought to be good at it. 
Whatever you are. If, if Martin Luther King said, if you're going to sweep streets, you ought to sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. You ought to compose music like Beethoven composed. Whatever you're going to do, are you good at it? Are you really doing your best at whatever you do? Are you really good at it? See, some, some of our problems, to be honest, they stem because we're just sorry. And we won't put our best into the thing, and we have problems. I, God said, don't you make a product unless it's the best. And that's our rule. If we cannot make it the best, we cannot do it. We can't, we can't even make it as good as the competitors. It has to be better. That was a divine mandate. Do you know you would never lose a person if you were the best thing they ever had? See, if you were the best, they just can't find any better. But if they can go around the corner and find tenfold better, you're going to have a problem. If you're the best, if you've got the best product and once they use their product, do you know if you go to a restaurant and it's just the, when we went to Alaska, we went to Alaska and had some wild Alaskan salmon. It was the best fish I'd ever had in my life. Peter told me I could go to Walmart and buy some frozen. It wasn't the same. It's good, but it wasn't the same. And I'm thinking about, I almost want to fly back to Alaska just to get some more of that fish. When you're the best, folk will travel across the country to get to you. But if you're sorry, folk will travel across the country to get away from you. So if you're the best, if you are the best, if you're good and you put everything you got into what you're doing, Whatever you're doing. It's about like the priest, the pastor, he, he, was, he was having marital problems because he said every time he got out on his knees to pray, he thought about making love to his wife. And every time he was making love to his wife, he thought about praying. And he wasn't any good at either one of them. So, so you, you can look. So if you praying, pray with everything you got. I'm not going to cover the other one. But whatever... Whatever you do, whatever you do, strive to be the best. Number six, we shall strive to have the best environment. We shall do our best to maintain a spirit of diligence, faithfulness, excellence, trust, peace, and harmony that shall transcend the office and spread to our personal relationships. Is this thing going to bring peace to your environment? Whatever you're endeavoring to do, whatever it is that you're deciding to bring back to life or let it die, what will this do to the environment? What will this do to all of the stuff around you? Does it bring peace or will it bring distraction and destruction? So when you go down this list, it, it begins to make a, a whole lot of sense begins to make a whole lot of sense. See, if, even, even that you're striving to be the best. See, sometimes people want to go into things and they're just no good at it. One of the big reasons why I didn't make it in the singing world, I can't sing that good, Brother Ivan, to be just honest. But I'm decent, but I'm not great. You understand the difference? And there's a big difference between decent and great. And oftentimes, decent doesn't cut it. You need to be great. And, and sometimes people, you ever watch American Idol and some of them folk can't carry a tune in a bucket and you're saying, and, and they, they say, I can stand and can't talk straight. <laughs> have you ever? No, they don't understand it. They can't be the best at it. And, and if you don't have the talent, you don't need to fool with it. You need to know what you're good at. Strive to have the best environment. Number seven, we shall improve. 
Each day, each week, each month, each quarter, each year, each decade, we shall strive to be better than we were before. Stuff never stays the same. You either get better or you get worse. That's the law of physics. Stuff never stays stagnant. The universe is always moving. And you're going in one direction or another. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And getting worse happens by itself. Get, getting better takes conscious effort. Going up the hill to the mountain takes energy. Rolling down is no problem. Always get better. So, so it's the decision. And it's the thing that's going to come to life or die. Is this going to, which direction is this thing going to take you? Is it going to make you better or is it going to make you worse? Always improve. This is, this is the stuff God gave me for business, but it applies to personal life. You ought to be better next year than you are right now. Stuff ought to be improved. Now, I know 10 years from now, you, you not gonna, may not look as good, but, but you ought to be better. You ought to be better. You ought to be better. You ought to improve. And number eight, as we are blessed, we shall bless others. As we are blessed, we shall bless others. There's a power that comes from just not being so self-centered. That you start doing things so that you can help other people. And oftentimes, our things are not blessed because we got wrong motivations and wrong motives and purposes behind it. As we are blessed, we bless others. So these eight things, they were what God spoke to me for you to use as criteria to let you know what should be killed in your world and let die and what should be resurrected. Because oftentimes we're just like Ezekiel. We've got all these dry bones. And we don't know whether they're supposed to live or die. Oh Lord, thou knowest. God has given you eight things. And eight is the number of new beginnings. And I can promise you that if you take these eight things and apply it to your world. You're going to have some new beginnings. You'll have some things that were formerly dead that will spring up and will bring life back into some things that were dry. Oh, Lord, thou knowest. God knows. Always remain financially viable. Use no deception. All products and actions must be beneficial. We shall strive to have excellent customer service. We shall strive to be the best. We shall strive to have the best environment. We shall improve. As we are blessed, we shall bless others. We thank you for joining us today at Brothers of the Word. Because, brother, you need the Word. This ends message number 5435 by Nathaniel Bronner. To send this message, Resurrection Power Part 3, number 5435, to a friend, simply go to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com. This has been message number 5435. Listen to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com often and keep your spirit charged up.